Happy Palm Sunday? Is that a phrase we use? I'm going to get back to my liturgy and learn that. Um, I don't think this was intentional, uh, but we just happened to have a, a Palm Sunday reference in our passage today on Palm Sunday, though it is quite small. Uh, only by God's providence, I think, could he uh, come up with a clever plan like that. I don't think that was by uh, human intelligence. Uh, but today we are being challenged uh, and also comforted by the words of Jesus and, and how gracious that challenging is. Because if you think about it, who succeeds uh, at whatever they do without being challenged or, or rarely challenged? What athlete performs well who's, who, who has not trained hard? What academic receives uh, acclaim or, or notoriety or awards who has not dedicated time to straining and, and challenging their mind? Wouldn't Rocky Balboa have defeated Clubber Lane easily the first time they fought if he had been better prepared for the challenge? Well, that's where we're going in general this morning. Let's pray before we all lose focus and start quoting Rocky lines. Father, your word says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And those words can be frightening because it forces us to have to deal with ourselves. And it asks that you would deal with us, that everything would be left bare and that you, Lord, would deal with us. But we know, Lord, that you are gracious to us and you desire for us to have this attitude. And so, Father, as Matt prayed, we, we would have that we would have great expectations this morning for the work that you have. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and minister to us. Father, the, the, the challenging and the comforting words of Jesus this morning, that they would do their work and accomplish their will in our lives. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, verse 22, sorry, we are uh, continuing our series in Luke's Gospel. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, whether that's electronic or in the Pew Bible, uh, there you go, page 1037. We're in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 35. I'm going to read big chunks and sections of this, so uh, we won't read this off at the, at the forefront. But uh, if you're following along in verse 22, it says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, that I would probably think would be my question as well. Jesus has described the kingdom of God uh, as a mustard seed and as leaven, as these small and imperceptible things. He's talked about uh, the fig tree, which, if not bearing fruit, will be cut down. He's talked about all the divisions that will be in the homes of people, father against son, daughter against mother-in-law, etc., Naturally, the question would be, hey, are there going to be many people in this place when it's all said and done after all these teachings you've given us? 
It's like in uh, Matthew chapter 19, after Jesus' encounter with the, the rich young man, he says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And Peter says, who then can be saved? And that's a bit of how people might be feeling after Jesus' teaching here in Luke. And so, Jesus says, strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Well, if you are awake, and some of you seem to be so this morning, and following along, you notice that Jesus doesn't actually answer the question that you think, that with the response that you would expect. And rather, he takes the, the sort of speculative and, and the theoretical and, and a numerical question, and he turns it to the personal and the challenging. Funny enough, he turns the camel through the eye of a needle uh, a moment in Matthew 19 into a, a comfort moment. Peter says, but we have given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, everyone who loses brother and sisters and fathers and mothers and land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And coincidentally, in that Matthew passage, uh, he, ends, he has the same phrase that we're going to come to in a minute, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And, and we're getting a clearer picture here that the kingdom of God will look very different from what we are used to. Back to Luke chapter 13. Here's what Jesus is essentially saying. Whatever the number may be of people who will be saved, what should concern each of you in this group is that you should ensure without delay that you are actually part of that company. Do not be sidelined by speculative discussions while ignoring the intensely practical implications of the message of the kingdom, which I have brought to you today. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Now, I want us to look at this word, strive. What does it mean to strive? The Greek word here is agonizomai, where we get the word agony, or to agonize, to fight, to struggle. Agonize, fight, struggle to enter through the narrow door. And the implication of, of narrow is that it is difficult. And it's not only is it difficult, but there will be many who will say, but you were here with us. Uh, you came to our town. You preached in our streets. 
But those do not meet the qualifications for salvation. Salvation is evidenced by striving to enter by the narrow door. So is this implying that it is works righteousness? And how does this balance with my assurance of salvation? Lots of good questions, and I'm glad that you all have asked these questions. First, we know that salvation is not by works, or by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2. The ground of our salvation is what Jesus achieved on the cross. It's what we're celebrating in Palm Sunday in, in, in His triumphal entry into Jerusalem and, and looking forward to this day, the Passover day, the, 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 the death, the sacrifice on the cross. But the evidence of our salvation is that we, that we then make every effort along the path in the journey of our lives. We're, we're putting forth the effort. We're, we're striving. This is sort of the precursor to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You are working out the evidence of your faith. You are working out the evidence of your salvation. But it's not out of yourself. It's not out of your resources. It's out of God's resources. It's His work, but you still work it out. Do you feel the tension in that? It, 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 there's tension there. Well, how do we know the people who are being saved then? Is it the person who says... Oh, well, I went to an event, uh, and I prayed a prayer. Uh, I went to a church service, and, and I stood up when they told me to stand up to accept Christ, or whatever it may be. And I think we need to beware of this type of thinking. Because it can sound awfully close to making your salvation sound like something that you did. And it can sound like a once-and-for-all event. I think there can be great danger in this type of thinking. Now, I want you to hear me correctly here. Or hear me right, as is a phrase used in another service. <laughs> I'm not saying that remembering the moment when the lights came on for you is wrong. That can actually serve us quite well later in our lives. What I am concerned with is thinking, that was it. That was it. And I have talked to far too many people who think this way, grown men and women, who, who will give me an exact date and a time and a location that they made their profession. But if you dig a bit further, you realize that they think that one moment is what saved them. They thought that was salvation. Done. Check. Got my salvation sorted for life. And then never pick up a Bible. Never show evidence of a transformed life. Never develop any sort of maturity. Never develop any sort of prayer life. Never display the fruit of the Spirit. Never attempt to kill sin. In other words, they never strive. So do not hear, strive to enter 
through the narrow door and start thinking this message is only for lost people who don't know the truth. This is for us. This is for us. This is what we need to hear. I need it. It was a great challenge to me this week, preparing this. You need to hear it. We all need to hear it. And just as I've described, striving looks like putting sin to death. Striving looks like growing in godly maturity. Striving looks like bearing fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. This is Jesus saying to me, Jonathan, make sure that you are striving to enter through the narrow door. It's a present participle. It's an ongoing action. It's not a once and done thing in our lives. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all, but our sanctification process, our striving, our working out of the good works that we have been saved for, those are ongoing until either He comes back or we go to Him. And let me add, you notice that it's one individual who asks him this question. Then it says, Jesus said, not to him, not to her, but Jesus says to them, strive. And that is in the second person plural. A lot of grammar lessons here. And that's not usually what I like to do because I'm not good at grammar, but it's important here. This is important. So strive is in the second person plural. Y'all strive. That would have gone down like a lead balloon in Australia. I can tell you that. What? What word is that? And I would be remiss to say that it is a you strive together element to this because we cannot strive on our own, or rather, we cannot strive on our own very well. And I'm sure we can all testify to that. We need the y'all aspect of community, church. It is by your continuance that you give evidence of the fact that your salvation is real and genuine. That, that moment when you did stand or you did pray that prayer, though it was an act of God of salvation, your continuance shows that salvation was real and not false or spurious. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. How many of us know of these who have turned away? People we grew up with, people who came to church with us, people who are related to us, they were not striving to enter through the narrow door. They were not seeing to it that they didn't have a sinful heart. Again, I'm not talking or preaching works righteousness. I'm saying these people never evidenced that they were indeed saved by grace. And I can venture to guess that few of them were actively engaged in the y'all community aspect that the body offers. There is great potential for turning away from the living God. May we not be ignorant of that fact. 
So the writer of Hebrews continues. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Never forget that sin is deceitful. It will lie to you. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for there will be people who miss the timing. Because at some point, the door will be shut. It's a lot of imagery from, from Noah's Ark, right? God shut the door. And people will miss out on that. So strive now. Strive now. Strive because there will be people who think they deserve to be let in. They think that by the nature of who they are, because of their position or, or title or, or wealth or intelligence or celebrity status, or because of the connections that they have, they think they can show up and walk in. Ultimately, there will only be two classes of people, those on the inside and those on the outside. Ironically, in the, uh, this illustration Jesus gives, those who claim to be the children of Abraham, this, this Jewish community, are those who will be forbidden access to Abraham's table. Not because they miscalculated their family tree, but because status among those being saved is not an inherited status. I see far too much of that in the church. So they will weep and wail as an expression of their grief. They will gnash and grind their teeth as an expression of their anger. Verse 28 is one of the most vivid descriptions of ultimate frustration and anger. And Jesus gives imagery of the moving from the Jews to the Gentiles. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God and behold... Some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. It's not going to look the way you think it might, speaking to the Jews of that day. The, the Gentiles from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be there. And those who have a, a seat of honor here will be last. And those outcasts from society, perhaps like the double bent over woman from last week, may be first. Even for us, sometimes we think that it's uh, the great preacher who will be first. But a, a good sermon is not a fruit of the Spirit. There will be plenty of people who have displayed fruit of the Spirit more than some of the best recognized preachers. The kingdom values are not the same as the world's values. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks and months, all the way through to Luke 17 or 18, or wherever we stop. Okay, I better move on before we go too long here. Verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Interestingly, Jesus has described the, the anguish with which uh, many will weep and gnash their teeth over not being at the banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets who came declaring the word of God who were prophesying the coming of the Redeemer. And Jerusalem is described as the city that rejects and kills the prophets as, as an illustration. It's more descriptive of the heart of Israel, uh, of the people who have rejected, uh, rejected God, rejected His Messiah. And so we look with anticipation. Will Jerusalem do the same with Jesus? Well, as the chime rings, telling us it's time to go. I'm just kidding. I always wanted to do that, and I didn't time it well. Well, Herod wants to kill Jesus. The same Herod who kills Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. So he's already proven himself that he's willing to do this. But you see... He's a pretender king. Herod is an Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau, the one who sold his birthright for a pot of stew. He is not a legitimate king. And the Pharisees tell Jesus he's coming for him. Okay, are they protecting Jesus? Or are they trying to get Jesus to go down to Jerusalem, to, into Judea, away from Herod's uh, own territory where he won't be able to do anything, but they can where he will be subject to the, the Pharisees and the rulers of the Sanhedrin. Well, I don't know. We do know that ultimately that's what happens, but, but in this case, we don't know. This could be a set of Pharisees who, who, who genuinely were concerned about Jesus. But you see, Jesus knows his plans, and he is on this divine time frame. And he won't even let the threats of Herod, which again have been validated through how he's dealt with John the Baptist, he won't even let those, those real threats from Herod deter him. He is fulfilling what was prophesied by those prophets who have gathered around the table in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that many will be barred from. He is fulfilling what, the prophets, what they prophesied by those prophets, who were gathered around the table in the kingdom of God, who were killed by Jerusalem, the city of peace. For they're speaking to the people of God on God's behalf. Just as God himself in the second person of the Trinity is doing right now. And so Jesus laments over this city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Look at the hardness of your heart. Is this not heartbreaking? Uh, this is the very city that God has set aside, that was created for the center of worship for God's people. Uh, the, the city that was designed to reflect the character of God to, to His people. And time and time again, the, the creation reject the Creator, the, the privileged ones who, who had the benefit of the covenant community. And time and time again, they kill and destroy the voice of the one who comes to help save. And now they're going to crush the Creator Himself. 
And he looks ahead and he sees the day when the city will finally be destroyed by the Roman occupation. Behold, your house is forsaken. You have rejected your king. You have rejected your God. But what does this show us about the character of Christ, the character of God? It shows his compassion. It shows his compassion even on those who will reject him. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. My desire is that you would come to me, but you have chosen to reject me. You, ones who have had the benefit of knowing the prophecies. You, ones who have had the benefit of sitting under the law of God. You, ones who have had the benefit of my preaching to you. But instead, it will go to the people from north and south and east and west. It's also interesting the balance between that last section. The, the striving can, can, can sound lonely. But here the image of his desire to gather under his wing, to, to protect and, and to bless. So, so we should never see striving again, even if we see it as our community. It's not just us striving together as our community by ourselves, but we are gathered under his wing, under his protection, under his guidance, under his leadership. That's why it's talking about that Christ is the head of the church. We submit to his authority. He leads us and guides us. And we as a community strive and we encourage one another. We, and we do that. But you see, the way he's talking about Israel, I, I wonder if, if, if a similar case could be made for the children who have grown up under the blessing of a covenant home today. You have had the great benefit of learning about the Savior. Uh, the free offer of grace. Of seeing the tremendous benefits of, of the covenant community. Of seeing the tremendous benefits of having a biblical worldview. And some are not willing. And that is heartbreaking. What can we do? Strive, brothers and sisters. As long as it is called today, strive together. Don't try to be an island. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, again, a, a small picture of, of Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he quotes Psalm 118 and, and our very small Palm Sunday reference, by the way. But you see, that's not just looking forward to that one event, but this is Jesus looking beyond his death to his resurrection, to, to his final return. When every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some will say that with great joy. Others to their shame at being shut out of the feast. And being told, I don't know where you come from. And Jesus is saying all of this in light of what he knows is coming. As he makes his way to Jerusalem. He knows that he'll be rejected. He knows that suffering and death await him. And still he says. 
how I would have gathered you under my wings if you were only willing. And so, brothers and sisters, let those of us here who are those who come from north and south and east and west, let us be the ones who remember these hard words from Jesus, this hard teaching, because their challenge serves us well. Let them serve as a stirring for us today to remember the gift of grace is free, but the cost may be everything. Whatever it takes to strive to stay with the narrow door, whatever it takes to strive to stay on the narrow path. But in the end, the reclining at table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets and all the saints will far outweigh any cost here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, when you challenge, you, you challenge all the way to the deepest level. And yet, you're also gracious in, in giving us a picture of the comfort that those two go hand in hand. And so, Father, I pray that this challenge wouldn't just whiff over the heads of people here, but that it would penetrate deep into the heart, that we would consider our striving. And again, as we said, it's not a striving out of our own resources, but it is striving out of the, the re, your everlasting resources. But we still have to tap into them. Not that we would receive the glory, but Father, you would receive the glory because they're your resources. And Father, for the community aspect, that we would see this, we would hear this and not think, I'm going to go and try and do better on my own, but that we would say, I need help. I can't do these things on my own. And so I submit to the headship of Christ and I submit to the, the church under which I have placed my membership and I submit to this body of believers who are striving alongside with me and also submitting to the headship of Christ. That we are gathered together under those wings and that it would not be said of us that we were not willing but that we were. And that you carried us all the way through to the end that our salvation will be evidenced by that. I pray that for each and every one of us in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and respond. And also just pray that 